Good morning, and welcome to episode 189 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh. Uh, Sam Miller is on vacation for the rest of the week. Uh, he is he is at Yosemite Park, uh, and I feel like he was reluctant to tell me where he was going because he didn't want me to make a Yosemite Sam joke, um, but I which I refrained from doing when he did tell me. So he's. Uh, he will he will be back on Monday, and we will have a couple guest hosts over the next couple of days. So today's is Paul Sporer, whom you may remember from being on basically every team preview podcast. I don't remember what the final count was, but when we previewed every team before the season, uh, Paul was definitely our, our most frequent guest because he wrote like half of the annual this year. So well, hello, welcome back, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. I, I hope people like the annual because now I've been uh, <laughs> got half of it put on my shoulders there. But yeah, I, I enjoyed those pods and I'm ready for another. All right. Uh, so, all right. So, what are what is your topic that we are going to talk about second? Uh, we're going to talk about this uh, interesting decision, and you wouldn't think it's interesting because of the two people involved. But the decision for the Seattle Mariners to bench Brendan Ryan in favor of Robert Andino for some reason. Yes, so we will get to that a little later. Uh, So the first thing that I want to talk about, my topic, is Chad Billingsley's Tommy John surgery. So we have another guest. Uh, I've asked Corey Dawkins to come on. Corey writes about injuries for Baseball Prospectus. He is the the man who maintains our injury database, uh, and he knows a lot of things about injuries. So I wanted to ask him some questions about this Billingsley uh, Tommy John announcement. So, hello, Corey. Thank you for coming on. Hello. Thanks for uh, having me on. So, this is one of those cases, and I was I was in the, the the press box yesterday at Citizens Bank Park when this news was announced, and someone kind of read it off his computer to the rest of the press box that Chad Billingsley was going to have Tommy John surgery, and I would not. I would not describe the mood in that press box as shocked. Uh, there were no gasps or intakes of breath. This was not a, a huge surprise to, to really to me or anyone there. I, I guess, given given what we've seen Chad Billingsley go through, what he what he went through at the end of last season, it it almost would have been more surprising to me if this if this hadn't happened. But I don't actually know anything about injuries, so I wanted to bring you on because this is one of those cases where. His 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 elbow issues cropped up last August, so we're talking about about I mean eight months ago, right? Is when is when this first surfaced, and he elected to go the the rest and rehab and and platelet rich injection route instead of surgery, and now he's going to have the surgery anyway because that that route. Uh, ultimately didn't work. So I wonder, I mean, looking back, and of course, you're not looking at his medical records. There's there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. Is there is there any reason to, to question the decision that was made? And I guess it was Billingsley decision, Billingsley's decision to, to not have the surgery immediately. Because, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, you look at it and you think, man, if he'd had the surgery when this issue first popped up, he would have been mostly, you know, most of the way back by now, whereas now he's going to be out into next season. So I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on, on the way that, that they went with it? Uh, even with the timing, you know, I, I think it's always 
best to try every possible non-surgical option mm-hmm. uh, that there is. Uh, and actually, his uh, first time his elbow started uh, bothering him last year was actually all the way back in uh, July when he was on the DL for what was just termed uh, inflammation uh-huh. uh, for the flexor tendon, which is, which basically uh, overlies the ligament. It was only later on in the year, uh, towards the end of August, when he was officially diagnosed with that uh, partial uh, ligament tear. And... Uh, having to go through with uh, the surgery would obviously put him out pretty much for the entirety of the 2013 season. And so it would be, you know, wise to try and do those uh, PRP injections uh, first to see if there's any chance of it uh, healing. Uh, the small tears actually can heal on their own even without any PRP. That's uh, about 20 to 25% of the time. Uh, so you know, even without the PRP, that there stood a chance that it could heal on its own uh, because it was a partial tear. Uh, again, hindsight's 2020, uh, but, you know, g- given how much is invested in, in him and the elbow, it's probably best to always try the non-surgical route first. Uh-huh. Is, is there, I guess, is there a degree of tear of the ligament at which or beyond which it, it doesn't make sense to try that therapy? I mean, is there is there an extent to which it can be torn that it just isn't going to come back without, it isn't going to heal on its own? Well, the hard thing is that every case is different. You know, some people can have, say, 20% of it torn, but still be uh, problematic in giving them symptoms, while others can have, you know, over 50% of it uh, torn, and it, it doesn't really give them any symptoms. Generally, you know, the higher you go up to, you know, it's around 40 to 50% is when most people uh, start having symptoms. In fact, a lot of people say that even uh, lower percentage, you'll start having uh, symptoms a, a lot earlier. You know, they'll think it's a case of just uh, normal soreness after a workout when, you know, it, it's probably the very, very first sign of it. Every time someone's going to go and, you know, have soreness after their their workout or their bullpen session, you know, they're not going to automatically lead to a ligament injury. Uh, but generally, you know, once we get around uh, uh, probably 30, 40, 50%, you know, people have uh, symptoms consistently. The main thing is that it, how much the elbow uh kind of is unstable. Nowadays, a lot of times what they'll do is under a specific type of ultrasound, they will apply pressure to the elbow, kind of mimicking how the elbow will open up uh, during the throwing motion. And then they can see how much of a difference uh, it is or how much it kind of uh, gaps open uh, at that joint space. And I can tell you the degree of the uh, instability. So was he pretty much pitching with this tear up to this point? I mean, he's he's he pitched in spring and he threw all winter and there was no real sign of anything wrong. Things seemed to be going well. And he, he made a couple starts, which were decent starts. And he was throwing 92-something miles per hour pretty much as, as hard as he threw, say, a couple seasons ago. So do you think this is a case where he, he re-injured it or... I mean, was he just kind of 
pitching through it and with it. And is that possible to do if you can take the pain for a while? Uh, yes, it's, it's possible to do, but I think more likely he uh, re-injured it, mm-hmm. at least with, over the last uh, you know several weeks or so. Uh, with the PRP injections, sometimes it, it just it doesn't work. Uh, even though you know we're getting better science out there, and some of the reports are encouraging, it it, it just doesn't always work. And usually in those cases. If the uh, symptoms resolve, it'll usually be because uh, the inflammation in the area has gone away from rest, from therapy. Uh, also, the area will, uh, of the ligament tear will fill in with a sort of uh, scar tissue. Mm-hmm. So it, it behaves as a little more stable, even though it doesn't have the true uh, ligament tissue that was originally there. And so what Billingsley likely had what was that the scar tissue was allowing him to go through his normal workouts, going through even his uh, starts earlier in the year, and then just it, it got stretched out too much, uh, and it got to the point where it was ineffective again. Mm-hmm. Can you can you think of uh, I guess the any notable success or or I mean, can you think of cases similar to Billingsley's at least? in terms of what we know publicly where we're going the the rest and rehab and maybe PRP route worked and and the pitcher was fine after that and maybe he he missed a little time but he didn't have to miss a whole year and he came back and and stayed healthy for for a long time because it's easy to when something like this happens it's easy to just remember the cases like this where in retrospect it looks like you just sort of wasted time when you could have been recovering from the surgery, but it's maybe harder to remember all the cases where where this route did work and, and the surgery was avoided and, and time was saved. Um, so I, can you can you kind of remember any any success stories of the of the Billingsley rehab route? Uh, yeah, the first one that actually popped into my head when I heard about the PRP injections was that of uh, Takashi Saito back in 2008, you know, he had his uh, ligament injury pretty much mid-year, right around uh, the end of mid to late July, and he had a partial tear of the ligament as well, and given that at that time he was uh, going on uh, 38 or so, uh, going under the knife for surgery was, you know, clearly going to knock him out potentially for the rest of his career. Uh, at least at the major league level here. So he certainly wanted to try the non-surgical route, and he ended up coming back in mid-September, uh, really about uh, eight, eight or nine weeks uh, after first injuring it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was certainly one of the best uh, success stories that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And then the next couple of years, he was actually quite successful in 2009 and 2010 before finally... Uh, kind of nearing the end of his career. Mm-hmm. And have you kind of, uh, you've, you've done some studies and, and research on, on Tommy John stuff. What is your, what is your feeling on, on the success rate right now for, for the surgery and then how pitchers hold up after the surgery when they come back successfully? Is there kind of an expiration date on, on their new ligament or are they pretty much 
I don't know, as, as safe a bet as, as anyone else at that point. Well, the success rate for returning is, uh, for a first-time uh, surgery, is quite high. Uh, they may not always reach the same uh, productivity level, uh, but usually for first-time uh, uh, surgical uh, patients, the success rate is pretty pretty well at returning to the major league level. It, it looks like uh, lately that there tends to be around a five- or six-year kind of uh, window to where uh, before any any problems really start to come back up, uh, you know, some fail uh, within the first two years when they first get back to pitching at the major league level, while others last, you know, ten years or more. Uh, the average that we looked at, it, it seemed to be uh, around the five or six year mark, with uh, several needing another surgery within the first two years of getting back to pitching at the major league level and then some towards the end of the year end of their careers eight nine ten years later when they had other uh, uh, injuries at the same time such as tearing of the uh, tendons that are in that area as well as the ligaments Mm -hmm. Uh, and and is the typical return time about a year now or is that the best case return time much it's close to around a year uh, it a lot of it depends on uh, really how he feels around the, the eight to nine month mark when they really start ramping up the throwing and ramping up the progress and that's when we can get a, a good general idea of, of how these w- would progress whether he'd be back at around the 12 to 14 month mark or if it's going to be closer to you know, the 18-month mark that uh, was consistent uh, earlier in, or sorry, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I think that's all I got. Paul, you have anything? Ben, you've handled this with a plum, <laughs> and uh, you've taken all the good questions. Uh, okay. Well, thanks, Corey. I, I always, I find it hard to kind of resist the feeling once you start hearing about elbow inflammation and soreness and all those things I just kind of get that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that that this isn't going to go away and maybe just get the surgery over with that's kind of my just gut feeling that this is going to linger but I don't know anything so I'm glad that you came on and talked to about this and there's really there's no reason to think that that Billingsley's the way he was handled or the way that he decided to go was was not the right decision knowing what everyone knew about at the time I guess right agree I, I think you know how it was handled and and how he progressed to each stage uh, was certainly appropriate and, and was the best way to handle it given the data and everything that they had at that time and you know obviously anything that they can do to avoid surgery which would certainly knock him out for you know, a year would be, uh, you know, the best thing to do. So I I think it was handled appropriately and all the right decisions were made. Okay, great. Thanks, Corey. Thank you very much. All right, we will let you go. So that was enlightening. I learned a lot. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, I'm with you. When I I start hearing anything about the elbow, whether it's, you know, just kind of 
a one-off shot of news about soreness, I instantly start to worry. Mm -hmm. And as a fantasy guy, if I've got them on my team or it's somebody I want to target, and Billingsley's been a favorite of mine for years, uh, that makes me you know doubly nervous, obviously, because if I've already got them, obviously I've already made the investment. But if I kind of want to get them, then am I going to get a discount? It's it's just too much of a mess. And uh, you know, I think everyone kind of thinks the same path is going to be happening with Jason Mott sooner than later, too. Mm-hmm. How long how long does it does a guy like that need to to not break before you sort of feel confident in in drafting him or starting him or you just kind of until it 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 happens or a long time goes by or you're just kind of waiting for the waiting for the news that, that... I took a shot on Billingsley in a couple leagues this year because uh-huh. uh, he was pitching in spring I saw some decent things I, I wasn't in love with the two starts that I saw. Um, but you know, I also don't consider myself uh, some elite level scout. You know, not mm-hmm. even not even close. Um, it, it, I didn't see anything that said, "Oh my God, run!" Mm-hmm. He continued to go out there and kind of do the innings that they allotted for him. So I said, "Okay." Uh, but some of these guys that are getting stopped short of their innings or just you know kind of continuing to have the soreness all the time, I'll leave them alone altogether. Yeah. Um, Mott was a guy I had in one league as a keeper, and then um, as much as I liked him, I had him number two. You know, back in I would say December when I first started making rankings, I had him two behind Kimbrell. Uh, once the news started coming out, I backed off him completely. I only kept him in that one league. Mm-hmm. Scary stuff. Absolutely. Uh, okay, Mariners, talk about talk about what happened there. Yeah, let's talk about this situation because it's kind of interesting. I mean, right now they're a train wreck. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of uh, maybe more colorful words we could use. It doesn't really matter whether we go. PG, G, or X to describe it. It's all bad right now what's going on in Seattle. And uh, so they're kind of grasping at straws. And I think this is uh, one of the weakest straws they've grasped at by, uh, you know, I I first saw it on my timeline from Jeff Baker uh, announcing that Brendan Ryan has lost his starting job to Robert Andino. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make too much sense. Now, listen. You don't have to be uh, a stat guy or even a hardcore fan to understand that Brendan Ryan is not good with the bat. Conversely, those same groups, whether you're in a, a you know a power user as a fan who goes to every stat site and studies all of it, or if just a casual fan, you know that Brendan Ryan's amazing with the glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Robert Andino is just as bad with the bat and not nearly as good with the glove. So why in God's name would they do this? I mean, if, if he was even, you know, slightly below average with the bat, I could understand it. You're trading some of the defense just because the offense has been anemic for what your entire life. Um, I, I don't know how much of the Griffey A-Rod era that you had, but that's about it. You know, since the or then the one right after the team that won a whole ton of games. But, you know, in the 2000s. Uh, late 2000s rather they've just been so terrible mm-hmm. but what does Andino offer that Brendan Ryan doesn't can you think of anything uh, I mean he's a different human being and I guess Correct. A- after you have have watched Brendan Ryan hit for a while and your team is not hitting and Brendan Ryan is not hitting even by the standards of Brendan Ryan Brendan oh, Ryan I mean it's uh, comical yeah I mean well Okay, so Brendan Ryan has been 
bad if you're if you're if you're, if you're going by by wins above replacement player. He has been the worst player in baseball this year. He is he's, he has negative one warp, uh, which is the worst of anyone. So, I mean, he has hit very poorly even by Brendan Ryan standards, which are very low to begin with. But yeah, I mean, his his preseason projection for true average was 231. Andino's was 232. So they are they are basically the same guy offensively, exactly. except that Ryan is a few years older. And I I mean I guess and it was it, it's kind of incredible that Ryan was as good as he was at shortstop. I feel like as a as a 30 year old. I mean if you if you see most defensive studies, it seems like defense just kind of goes straight down after a guy goes to the majors that the aging sure. curve is not is not kind so it was kind of surprising that brendan ryan could be the the best shortstop in baseball probably at his age and i i guess i mean if if maybe they think that he has lost a step or two suddenly um to the point that that the bat i mean the, the glove cannot make up for the bat i, I guess i could kind of see it maybe but mm. It almost seems like they're just looking at at uh, baseball card numbers at this point, and and, and one one in particular, homers. Mm-hmm. You know, Andino's got five and seven the last two years, and uh, Brendan Ryan has a pair of threes. Uh, you know, and he's never oh he hit four his first year, and then zero, three, two, three, three, and then zero so far this year. I mean. I just I, I I get you want to try to shake things up. This is not the move to make. You know, F- figuring out a way to keep Casper Wells is the move to make mm. uh, before he ends up leaving their team earlier this year. It's strange because I mean, clearly the Mariners appreciate Brendan Ryan's defense. I mean, the fact that they started him basically all of last season, despite how poorly he hit then. I mean, he you know exactly. he, he batted 194. I know it's batting average, but there aren't that many teams, I think, that would put up with that for a full season. Uh, yeah, so, I it mean, tells the story. Yeah, uh, th- This is a case where batting average tells the clear story. You can go deeper if you want, but this is one where you just say the batting average and you're not missing anything. Right. It's not like he has a, a ton of, of secondary offensive skills that are making up for that. But, but the fact that he started all of last season, despite that, sort of suggests that that they know exactly how good Brendan Ryan is on defense or, or how good he was. Um, so it's sort of strange that, I don't know. I mean, you, that seemed like a pretty enlightened thing of them to do to start him all season, despite that, that batting average when absolutely the numbers were, were saying that he was worth it because of the gloves. So unless their evaluation of his defense has changed, uh, it's not that they don't appreciate that aspect of what he brings to the team. So I, I don't know. I, it's kind of hard to to figure. I guess it's just sort of a rearranging the deck chairs move, but not one that. Well, it, and that re- that leads to the next question, though. Uh, when do the chips start falling with management, whether mm-hmm. uh, in the front office or or do they get some firings in before they're fired? Because uh, I think that's completely apt. Yeah. They, they are simply tidying up the Titanic here because I just don't see how how this uh, front office team can can last. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to to see that happening right now. I mean, just looking at 
at some of the names on the roster, it's it's not pretty. I don't know. I mean, there's still Raul Banez starting most of the time, and Jason A on Jason the roster. Day starting, yeah. And I, I mean, when he has to play now because uh, Gutierrez is out, Andy Chavez. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bay's, I don't think Bay's starting, but uh, if he's not, then Ch- then Chavez will be, and then Abanez. Um, you know, most folks didn't really like the Moore steal, um, and and I I you know I understand why. You know, Jaso was one of their best hitters last year, maybe their best, and I guess so. That leads kind of to another thing. I, I, a lot of these guys were getting passes. The Dustin Ackley's, the the Justin Smokes. Right, were, those were, are the guys. I mean. Montero, Smoke, Ackley are just not hitting at all. They're uh, failing though, like not not just this year. You're right, talking yes. overall, and there needs to be some accountability for that at some point, doesn't there? I think so. I mean, I I sort of defended Jack Z kind of over the winter about those guys not panning out so far because it just, I mean, certainly the the moves for them seemed defensible at the time. No one, yeah. no one really was criticizing them when they happened. Um, Especially Smoke. I mean, he was yeah, right. Teixeira Jr. And yes. you, you can find lots of folks that said that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, if there was a consensus on the Montero trade, I would think most people figured the side that got the position player probably got the best of that. Agreed. Um, and, I, I mean... People agreed that Dustin Ackley was was worth a, a high pick when they used it. On oh him. God, I, I've been his biggest fanboy, so I've I, I still hold some hope for him, even though it's just it's not wor- it's not working. So really I mean, not. you could conceivably those were all smart moves at the time they were made that just haven't panned out. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess what what standard do you hold? team to i mean you would you would want the the gm of the team that's acquiring these guys to to know their future or have a better sense of their future than than the internet does sure um and yet it probably would have been pretty hard to find people even inside the game who were big critics of those moves at the time so i i don't know whether it's just i I mean think about how different this team would look if if all three of those players had had panned out and, and were playing like you would expect prospects of their caliber to be playing oh, at this point. I mean, it would be a completely different situation if all three of those guys were, were young stars uh, instead of pretty much busts so far. Could you imagine that division at this point then? Mm, yeah. That wouldn't, even, that wouldn't even be fair. You know, and then Kyle Seeger has shown some great things on the road. He seems to mm-hmm. actually be a casualty of the park. Uh, speaking of, you know, there, a lot was made, and I think personally, I think way too much was made of the fences moving in mm-hmm. at both parks that did it, both Safeco and Petco, uh, because the moves were pretty small. They were a bunch of, I think, between 8 and 13 feet moves when you're when you're looking at both stadiums and all these different spots where they made the little moves. Uh, how quickly can you start to make any sort of assessment off of that uh, with, with the day? I obviously probably not right now on uh, April 24th. Can we look at the Safeco data and say, well, that didn't that didn't do anything, or look at the Petco data and say that it did because uh, Petco's got the sixth highest OPS and Safeco has the seventh lowest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what threshold for you are you comfortable at saying 
that that any of that matters you need a full year two years uh i mean at least a full year i i don't know i remember when when the new yankee stadium opened and it it seemed for a time to be just total bandbox and just just home run crazy and everything was being hit out and mm-hmm. since then it's I don't know. It's basically been more or less like the old Yankee Stadium. I think it's not any kind of crazy exaggerated environment. Uh, it's just sort of a, a standard hitter's park. So I don't know. I feel like you have to wait a while. I guess, I mean, there was a post by, by Jeff Sullivan, right, where he looked at one particular home run that was hit. Uh, I think it was at, I don't remember which of the parks it was at, but he, he looked at the the hit tracker data and basically found that, that one of the home runs that was hit this season early on was just sort of unlike any home run that had ever been hit at that park. It was just, mm-hmm. it was hit at a different angle or something. It just, it clearly wouldn't have been out uh, before. So you can kind of, I guess, look at isolated batted balls and say that this would have been different. Um, and I guess you can s- extrapolate from that to some extent, but I don't know, I wouldn't be very very comfortable in it until at least a, a full season and maybe more. Yeah, I, I think we need at least a season. I'm with you there. One other question, uh, spinning off kind of back to something that we were talking about earlier with the failure of the prospects. Um, do you equate this or do you see any similarities between this front office and Kansas City's then as uh, you know, Hosmer is off to another slow start. Mustakis seems to be kind of a swing from the heels, and that's really it, even though he's not even off the power schneid yet. He doesn't have a homer. Mm-hmm. You know, Gordon eventually came around, but, um, you know, the, those two primarily, Hosmer and Mustakis, are kind of like their um, Smoke and Ackley, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of high guys that I feel like they should be better, but at the same time, I look at them and they're 23 and 24, and I say, well, maybe we can't freak out yet. Yeah. Do, do you see any uh, parallels between the two front offices? Uh, I don't know that that there are parallels from a, I don't know, like a process approach, I guess, results-wise, sort of. But uh, Smoke is 26, so, I mean, Hosmer's considerably younger, and I guess he's been, sure. he's already had a better season than Smoke has ever had. Um, so there's that. I, I'm still I'm still sort of optimistic about the Royals guys and less so about the Mariners guys because of, because of their age and because of yeah, how they're both they've college been. guys too, mm-hmm. and so you would have expected them to actually be uh, progressed a bit further when they came in. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, you, I'm not trying to. I'm not bringing it up to to crack on them, but everyone re- kind of remembers when you know Fangraphs did their organizational rankings and they had Seattle as the sixth organization, and uh, you know whether you think it was high or not. Uh, there was a case to have them pretty high. Again, mm-hmm. we, we looked at everything that they had, and you're like, "Wow, that's that's uh, you know that's a bright future there." And I guess to take it one step further and even veer out further to another team, um, doesn't the the fact that you know both these two teams I've mentioned, Seattle and KC, and if I'm going too far, let me know. But the fact that they've had all this potential and it hasn't panned out, isn't that just one little more check mark in favor of? not doing what the Nationals did with Strasburg last year and going for it while you have the chance? Uh, I guess so. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that the – it's hard to say that – I mean, I don't know. It's a thin, we, we it's a about thin 
yeah, we, thin thread that I'm making here, <laughs> right. just saying that uh, you know you you see these two organizations that were brimming with potential, mm-hmm. uh, and they've made nothing of it. Uh, you, Washington, have made something of it. You have a chance to really take it further, and and you kind of put a, one hand behind your back with that. That's all. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not comparing the organizations. I don't want emails saying did <laughs> did Paul say you know that uh, Ned Yost and Davy Johnson are the same. I'm not making. <laughs> too strong a comparison just asking about the potential question yeah i mean i i guess it's it's certainly worth remembering uh that a a team or an organization that looks really well set up short or certainly long term at any particular time is is far from a guarantee and that yeah I, i guess if you if you get to the point where you are making a run and i mean because the that was kind of the narrative with the nationals that that they were just set up to compete for so many years that even if even if the Strasbourg thing cost them the World Series in 2012, they would be back sort of almost yeah. inevitably because they were just so strong and built so well and so young and and yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it is it is worth pointing out that that a lot of teams that look like that do not end up like that. Okay, last question here because mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to make this the longest, uh, <laughs> effectively wild possible. Yes, Sam would have um, hung up on me about ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he gets to a point where he is like, Ben, I don't want to speak with you anymore. <laughs> yes. We are friends, but God, yes. I hate you right now. The point is about um, ten minutes in. Yes. So, uh, would the better move have been here to just call up Nick Franklin and put stick his feet in the fire after 75 Triple A games? Uh. I don't know. Is he? Let's see. What is? What is he? He's been hitting very well. He was modest at AAA last year, or actually, modest might be overstating it. He wasn't very good with a 7.25, which in the PCL is pretty bad. But this year, he's raking. Uh, obviously, only 50 plate appearances. Uh, I don't know. I, I think if 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 what you're going for is some offensive boost, and and you might think that Andino has that for some reason. Um, I, I don't know why you don't just go ahead and put all your cards on the table, bring up Franklin, bring up Holtzen for Saunders, you know, just is, is, is Brad Miller kind of the, the guy who's maybe next in line or I, I've, I've heard that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then know. from some of the, some of the uh, bigger Franklin fanboys, mm-hmm. obviously they think he's going to go. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I would have rather done something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Unless they're, I guess at this point there aren't so much service time concerns. Um, because they're not going to be – I mean if if we are right and that they are uh, you know, rearranging uh, deck chairs on the Titanic here and if they're kind of feeling that pressure, then in, in some instance, what do you guys care about the service time issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well that's – yeah, that's, that's true. I mean I would think that unless – something changes unless unless those those guys who haven't hit so far that we've talked about start hitting for the rest of the season unless the Mariners start winning more I would I would think that probably there will be changes in the front office uh whether or not those decisions were bad at the time someone is going to take the fall eventually so who's the batting coach because uh he's probably putting his house (laughs) on the market yeah I think I think I uh I think I said something. The the batting coach is Dave Hansen, and I feel like when he was hired, I might have said something about how is that was like the best the best hitting coach job you could get because 
just from like the dead cat bounce, the Mariners would Absolutely. be bound to, to be better, and he would be kind of credited as a as a hitting savant who turned the Mariners around. And so, um, yeah, not not so much so far. Uh-huh. Now, now, now it's going to be the opposite. You couldn't improve this team for crying out loud. <laughs> right. You're gone. <laughs> right. So yeah, I don't know. Perplexing, perplexing decision by the Mariners, I suppose. Uh, Sorry, M's fans. At least you got a great park and uh, maybe a bright future with the pitching. At least Hasashi Iwakuma mm-hmm. uh, is doing very well, and I, I'm a huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some maybe he can start hitting. <laughs> maybe he can start batting for them. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to come up with some ideas. I'm thinking outside the box, Ben. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how uh, maybe they should have had Casper Wells play shortstop or something. I don't know. I mean, what 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 was the move that facilitated him leaving? I can't remember. Did he was, was it just Bay outright? Or... Oh, I God, I think so. I think it was Bay. Uh... Not helping your case, front office. <laughs> All right. Yeah, because he was just waived. Okay, we don't need to get into Casper Wells, but uh, <laughs> it, it's not a good situation. I don't think this is a good move on any level. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, any incremental gain that you might even get in the short term from batting uh, I think is going to be lost with defense because even though you, you're definitely right about the defensive curve mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a generational guy who who kind of mm-hmm. bucks the curve yeah that's possible and 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 Andino's I mean he's more of a second baseman um, correct I mean how many games has he even played at shortstop on baseball reference typing um, he has played uh, uh, he's played buck 41. Yeah. He's, he's played, well, I guess he's played about a, a thousand innings at shortstop and, and about 1800 at second base. Um, but, 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 recently, but as you can see, that came in nine yes, seasons that, at short. <laughs> yeah. And then the 1800 came in six seasons. Right. Oh, Jose Valverde is getting a standing ovation. That's how bad wow. my favorite team's <laughs> bullpen situation oh, was, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Yeah, the last time that that Andino played shortstop more than more than second base was 2009. It looks like. Um, well, at least it's not an important position. Right. Okay, uh, that's enough, I suppose. So thank you, thank you for filling in for for Sam and anytime bringing it as always. Uh, happy to be on all right and there's one more show this week you send your emails to podcast at baseballperspectus.com if you want uh, me and sam to answer them next week we will be back tomorrow